Okay, well, good morning to everybody. We're happy to be here, and certainly a little bit frosty this morning, uh, but they say it's supposed to warm up beginning tomorrow, so it's supposed to get to like 60, I think, by Wednesday, so that's like, I like that. <laughs> I'm a warm weather person. I make no bones about it. I do like warm weather, but anyway, if you're going to live in Kentucky, you just got to accept the, the cool weather, but uh, certainly it makes you appreciate spring when it does uh, finally arrive, so... Anyway, we invite you to open to the book of Romans, chapter 14. I don't know who participates, so we'll just take volunteers. I like folks to participate in reading, and if you have comments or questions uh, to chorus in to our study, well, uh, feel free to bring them up as we uh, open, uh, open the Word of the Lord together. Here in the book of Romans, chapter 14, we want to begin there in verses 10 through 12. Verses 10 through 12. Someone want to read that for us? Verses 10 through 12. All right. In particular, as you notice there in the reading from verse 12, we're going to talk about the idea of giving an account of himself or herself. Gender neutral there. That is, uh, each of us individually will give an account of ourselves to God. And that's, that's really pretty, pretty sobering thought to think about as we think about the coming day of judgment. All right, first off, when we talk about the uh, Day of Judgment, just kind of look at some verses and uh, this text here, and just talk about the Day of Judgment. There are a lot of things that we know about the Day of Judgment that are described in the Scriptures. As he describes there, For we shall all, all, just emphasize that word all, everybody will be at the Day of Judgment. There's no exemption. There's no, well, I think I'll just pass on that. I think I'll just skip that. Nobody's going to skip the day of judgment. It inevitably happens to all of us. As it's written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. Now, we will confess to God in the day of judgment. Everybody will confess that Christ is Lord. Problem is, if we don't confess Christ now, we will confess and we will bow the knee in the day of judgment. In this world, we can choose to spit in the face of God, can we not? Sure. Sure, we can deny God. We can, we can say there is no God. We can uh, laugh at, uh, about the idea of God. And, and there are a lot of people that do that and utterly reject God. But if we confess in this world, it will be to our salvation. If we bow the knee, bow the knee in this world, it will be to our salvation. And uh, but in the day of judgment, we will all bow, believers and unbelievers, even the atheists, even the agnostics. They will all bow and confess also in the day of judgment. But then it will be too late. They will confess to their condemnation ultimately. Notice in the book of Acts chapter 17, when Paul over here with the, uh, uh, the Athenian philosophers there in, uh, in Greece, and he talks about the three great questions of life. And the, what are the three great questions of life that Paul answers? We see the answers, we don't see the questions, they're just implied. All right, he, 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 he talks about the question, where do we come from? If you've never seen a Bible, that doesn't... You, you still think of that question. I think back before I ever really ever studied the Bible, well, where do we come from? And then there's the second question, well, why are we here? And the third question is, where are we going? 
And Paul actually answers all those questions in the text here, in this sermon, uh, in his uh, speech here to the Athenian philosophers there at Mars Hill. He answers all those questions. Where do we come from? What's the answer to that? We come from God. God created us. We didn't get here by blind chance and dumb luck. Contrary to what uh, our evolutionist friends try to convince us of, we're not some cosmic accident. We're here because God created us. God made us. And why are we here? We're here to serve God, to try to please Him. Uh, As Paul talks about in the text, less happily we should seek after Him. We're His offspring. We are responsible. We're accountable beings because we are made in the image of God. And then the third question he answers is where we're going. And notice that in verse 30 and 31. Acts 17, 30 and 31. Someone already read that for us? Alright, so God commands all men everywhere. Not all men in some places. Not, not, uh, not in all places some men. No, all men in all places. He commands us to repent. And He gives us the reason why we need to repent, why we need to turn to the Lord, and what's the reason. Alright, there's coming a day of judgment because He hath appointed a day. Now, we don't know when that day is. There are lots of things we know about the day of, uh, the day of judgment, the day of Christ. We know who's coming. Well, it's Jesus. We know that all are going to be gathered before Him because all will be raised and all will be translated. We know what's going to take place, that we're going to give an account of ourselves. We know questions like where, that is, before the judgment seat of Christ. What's the only thing we really don't know about the day of judgment? We don't know the when. Could be today. It's possible it could be today. The Lord could come today. Could be tomorrow. Could be a hundred years from now. Could be even a thousand years from now. I have no idea. But we know all kinds of things except the wind. And so the important thing is to always be ready. So, so we need to repent because he's appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness. And what is that righteous standard that we will be judged by? Alright, we're going to be judged by his word. And we'll look at a verse on that in the book of uh, John chapter 12 and verse 48. John chapter 12, number 48. John 12, number 48. Someone want to read that for us? Alright, the words that Jesus spoke. And that's what, that's what we're going to be judged by. It's sort of like if you're in school and uh, the teacher says, class, we're going to have a test. What do they usually tell you about that test? What it's going to be about? Well, we're going to be have a test on chapter 13. We're going to have a test on, you know, chapter 3. We're going to have a test of what we've been studying this week. So you kind of have an idea what the test is about. I mean, you don't go into English class and bam, they, they, they spring you with a mathematic uh, test, do they? Well, no, it's kind of what you've been studying in that class. Well, the judgment day, there's not going to be some surprise like, oh, I had no idea. I, I remember when I was in school, invariably... It seemed like we'd have a test, and there'd be some kid that would say, oh, "I didn't know we were gonna have a test." Like, did, didn't you pay attention to what the teacher said? It's like, duh. The teacher told us we was having a test on Friday. You know, told us what chapter, what 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 the topic was gonna be about. But invariably, uh, well, it's no surprise about this day of judgment and the criteria. We're gonna be judged in righteousness by that man whom we have ordained. Wherever he hath given assurance unto all men that he hath raised him from the dead. So Jesus, he has all authority. Matthew 28, verse 18, all authority. 
And when we talk about our government, we have the three branches. And what are the three branches of government that divides authority? Judicial? Legislative? Executive. In the kingdom of Christ, Jesus has what branch of authority? He has all three. He is, he is judge. He has judicial authority. He is legislative. He is the lawgiver. He is, he's king. He has executive authority. He has all authority. He is the absolute monarch. And that would be the very best form of, uh, of, uh, government is an absolute monarch. If, if what? If the leader is perfect, exactly. And that's why the, Jesus Christ is a wonderful leader because he's perfect in all three categories. What's the problem with humanity? We're not. We're not perfect. And so they recognize, as you look through history, our founding fathers, you know, they, they, they recognize that power corrupts. And absolute power corrupts absolutely. That's just kind of a general, general state of things. And so they divided up the powers of government and put in checks and balances to uh, uh, try to have a, a better, uh, more perfect form of union here. But anyway, but Jesus Christ, he possesses all authority. He has the judicial power. And then notice over in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 as Solomon brings the conclusion of this great uh, journey of trying to figure out, well, what, what, what's the purpose of man? What, what's life all about? And uh, he gives the ultimate conclusion here, number 13 and 14. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, number, uh, chapter 12, number 13 and 14. Someone want to read that for us? Uh, Gary? Alright, so God's gonna bring everything out in the day of judgment. Whether it's open or whether it's secret, it makes no difference. God knows all. It's like on some of the courthouses, you see Lady Justice, and she has what? She has the scales. She's holding the scales, and she's blindfolded. And why being blindfolded? To, for, for the idea of fairness, that she's not judging based upon what one looks like. What the appearance might be. She's just judging based upon what is weighed in the balances. Well, Jesus is not going to be blindfolded. Why? Because he's absolutely perfect. He knows everything. There's not going to be any wool pulled over his eyes. And he's going to be absolutely fair in the day of judgment. So everybody's going to be in the day of judgment? We're all going to be there? It's all on the same day? John 5, 28, 29 talks about the resurrection. What does he tell us there? Right, all are going to be raised from the dead, good and bad alike. As you see there in John chapter 5, 28 and 29, Marvel not this, for the hour is coming in which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice. And shall come forth, they that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of condemnation. So good and bad will all be raised on the same day. There's not this, you know, thousand year plus difference of the resurrection of the just and then a thousand years later it's all the resurrection of the unjust. No, it's all the same day. So we will all be raised from the same day at the day of judgment. Nothing will be hidden. Every secret thing will be brought out. It will be absolutely fair because we have a just judge. The criteria is the word of God. That is the standard by which we will be judged by. It will be final. I mean, this is going to be it. The final day of judgment. So we know all kinds of things about the day of judgment. Now something else we need to point out. We're not going to stand as couples. I mean, it's not going to be Randy and Jan. Please step forward. 
You know, we, we don't go before the day of judgment as couples. We're not going to stand as families. It's not going to be, okay, grand family, uh, please step forward. It's not going to be that way. We stand individually. We're not going to stand as a congregation. not going to be, okay, lakeside, come on, y'all, y'all just go ahead, step forward. No, we don't stand in the day of judgment as a congregation. We don't stand as a community. All right, Somerset, y'all just come on forward. That's your turn. It's not going to be United States of America. It's not going to be, you know, Albania and then Brazil and Chile and alphabetically and we get to the United States and we're going to be kind of one of the last ones. Well, no, we're not going to stand as a nation. We're going to stand individually. As we saw in our text, in the title, they give an account of himself. Individually, we stand individually. Now, it is important to point out, that as we talk about that we stand individually, we're going to have to give an account of how we relate in the family unit, how we relate in the local congregation, how we relate in the community, in the nation, the citizens of the nation that we are a part of. Yeah, we're going to have to answer for how we behave and fulfill our responsibilities in, in those various areas, but we don't stand as groups. We stand individually. All right, now let's go back to the book of Romans chapter 14. And uh, notice that contextually what he is talking about in Romans chapter 14. Contextually, he is talking about the idea of a mutual forbearance, respect, because each will give an account. Uh, I'm going to have, I've got the New English translation because there's a, uh, some of the phraseology here I like. It's a little bit more clear than at least the King James. Maybe some of the other translations. We'll kind of compare them. And uh, we'll, we'll kind of uh, kind of chorus that in as we look at this text here. And that is the, uh, in the New English translation, that is the heading. Exhortation to mutual forbearance. Because Paul is going to show by illustration two things in particular in these first 12 verses. And how that relates of the point of that we're each going to give an account of himself. And that is the, the issue of eating of meats or whether to be a vegetarian. And the observing of days. That some days might be in the mind of some special and some they would just treat them all equally. And what he's trying to point out that these are matters of individual judgment, individual convictions. And personal scruples and uh, personal uh, 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 convictions uh, or opinions or, or judgments that Paul is illustrating in this passage. And it's important to see this. Because if we don't understand Romans 14 and that there are some issues where we may vary. As he describes in this text and don't understand what he's talking about, we, well, we will just be splintered up into all kinds of things. Then you'll have a a vegetarian church, and then you'll have a meat-eating church. And then you'll have some churches that they kind of hold that some days are a little bit more special than others, and some uh, in another church that they count every day alike. And Paul points out that these are individual matters. These are points uh, that each have their own conviction about, and that there's to be a mutual respect and forbearance because it does not force upon another. In the participation in either uh, either or uh, person's activities or judgments, just like the the matter of eating uh, meats or simply being a vegetarian. If I want to be a vegetarian, 
Does that force Randy to then be a vegetarian also? Well, no, because that's my conviction. That's, that's my viewpoint about the matter. And if someone wants to count one day a little bit more special than others, maybe because of uh, your background, like for instance, if you were a Jew and all your life, when it came the Sabbath day, you did what? You rested the Sabbath day, which was the seventh day of the week, which would be our Saturday. All your life you had observed the Sabbath, and so then you become a Christian, and does Jesus Christ command the Sabbath to us? No, we're not commanded to keep the Sabbath, but in your mind, you just ah, you just have a problem doing anything on the Sabbath day. And so you sort of kind of keep that practice in your mind. Well, Paul says, that's okay. <laughs> that, that will be your conscience, and that will be your choice. And that doesn't affect another brother over here, and the choices that they do. Because it's a matter of individual activity. It's not, it's not something that we do in the collective group. It's not something that we do uh, in the uh, in the assembly. Now, if, if you talk about bringing instrumental music into the worship, what happens there? Well, then it's forced upon everybody. Everybody has to participate in it or say, well, you know, they're going to park out. Well, that, that creates problems when you bring it in as a congregational activity. You see, then that creates problems. But Paul is dealing with matters of individual conscience here, as he describes. And so it's important to understand Romans 14. It's important to understand, of course, Ephesians chapter 4 and the balance between the two texts there because there are errors that goes both ways in trying to force, uh, you know, Ephesians chapter 4 and those seven comprehensive ones and trying to uh, shove them into Romans chapter 14. That, well, you know, we'll just all agree that Jesus is Lord. And, ah, whether you believe baptism is, is necessary or baptism is an immersion or not, well, that's okay. We, we just put that in Romans 14. Well, that creates problems. Because Paul put that in Ephesians chapter 4, in the unity of the Spirit. And then it's uh, not fair and not right to take some issue out of Romans chapter 14 and try to shove that into Ephesians chapter 4 and then try to force that upon everybody. That, uh, it's kind of like, uh, Kathy's grandfather. He had the idea that if you had a beard, you were trying to hide something. We got a lot of people with facial hair. And so he just thinks that you're trying to hide something. Well, that was his opinion. And that was just his viewpoint. It's not my viewpoint. I, I think it's crazy. But anyway, that was, that was his viewpoint. But he, he would just have to keep that to himself. You can't force that upon them. Well, all the men are going to have to be clean shaven or you're not, you're not going to be a part of this group here because we think you're trying to hide something. Well, that, that's not fair. That's your opinion. Just keep that opinion to yourself, uh, etc. And don't try to say, well, yeah, you know, we've got to keep the unit spirit, brother, and we, we, all, we all need to get shaved and clean, uh, be clean cut. Well, no, that, that's, can't, you can't do that. All right, let's notice Romans chapter 14, uh, verses uh, 1 and 2, verses 1 and 2. Someone want to read verses 1 and 2 for us. <clears throat> All right, so first off, Paul says we ought not to be judgmental. Now, in this text, the sword of the Lord cuts both ways. It's a double-edged sword. It goes both ways. If you are a meat eater that, you know, I can eat meat and, and I have no qualms about that. I don't go by the dietary restrictions of the Old Testament law that were not bound by the Old Testament law. And I understand even meats that had been sold at shambles. 
That is, meats that were offered uh, in idol sacrifice, and there were some left over, and so they would sell the excess in, in shambles, the, what was called the shambles. That is, in the meat market, it was kind of a, a cut rate, and it was cheaper, but it was just simply meat. To, to me, it, it's just meat. I'm not worshiping some dumb idol. I'm not going by Old Testament laws, and so I believe that I can eat all meat. Now, here's the other brother over here. Now, he, you know, he grew up as a, he grew up as a Jew, and he, you know, he still had problem eating, eating over here, eating pork, or eating catfish, and ham, and all those types of things. Or maybe here's a Gentile that he come out of, you know, the, the pagan idols and these, 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 these various gods of sacrifices being all offered and, yeah, yeah, he still, it still bugs him about even going to the shambles and, and buying this meat that's at a discount and, and so he has qualms about that. Well, Paul says, okay, yeah, you, you've got both of these viewpoints among brethren. And notice there verses three and four. Three and four. So I'm going to read verses three and four. Four. <clears throat> All right. So here you have the meat eater, and he has no qualms. It's just meat. It's just, it's just food. That's all it is. It's just food. And in the law of Christ, there's no restrictions, no dietary laws and restrictions like you find in the Old Testament law. And so he eats meats. He has no problem about it. And here, here's uh, you know, here's Luke. He, he's vegetarian. He he has qualms about eating meat. Well, Paul says, now, you know, I'm not to look at Luke up here and say, man, this, he is so goofy. He has these goofy ideals. That, man, don't you know how wonderful that sausage and, and eggs are every morning? I mean, don't you understand about getting you a big slab of, of uh, country, uh, country ham or pork tenderloin, eating that with cornbread and fried potatoes and pinto beans? I mean, don't he? Man, he, he is so goofy. It's not for me to treat him with contempt. It's not for me to look at him and his viewpoint and, and what he's saying here. I think somehow that I need to disrespect or hold him in contempt or, or to disregard him and, and have no value uh, in his opinion. Well, that, if that's his conviction, that's his honest conviction, it's his honest conviction. You can't make him otherwise. That, now, maybe in time he may change. But it's not for me to look with contempt. But then on the other hand, here I am a meat eater. And Luke, he, he's only eating vegetables and he's thinking, boy, that McKibben, he's going to bust hell wide open. Man, he, he is heading straight for hell for eating, eating that old country ham. He's been eating all that catfish and he goes over there to Jamestown or to, um, uh, <laughs> Jamestown, the, uh, Russell Springs. Yeah, Russell Springs. Uh, to the uh, to the catfish house over there, and you know he just he visits that's a little bit too much, and I think he's sure gonna he's gonna lose his soul sure as sure as uh, the sun rises every day. Well, he's not to be judgmental upon me. He's not to be condemning me. I mean, that's what Paul is trying to say and trying to point out in this text. Because if I eat meat, does that mean that Luke is now eating meat? Well, no. He's, he has his own individual choice. Now, it might be if I have, you know, him and his family over for dinner, now probably what would I serve in being respectful? Probably wouldn't be offering uh, certain kinds of meats. Or maybe, you know, we would have like, you know, vegetable lasagna. Like, like one time, 
went, uh, was up in preaching in Lexington. This family had me over, and, and I had vegetable lasagna. And anyway, I got talking with the kids because they rode with me to the church building after supper. And I asked them how they liked the vegetable lasagna. They said, well, well, we like it with the meat better. I said, I think I do too. <laughs> <coughs> but, but anyway, you know, if you're going to have a vegetarian over, you probably want to have salads and, you know, not serve meats or if it's just particular types of meats, you probably wouldn't want to, you know, put them in a bad position and, and be disrespectful of that. And so it's important to, to understand these biblical principles that Paul's talking about because there are issues that come up. And there are questions, I mean, honest questions and scruples that we have that we've got to be careful about how we deal with one another. And that's what Paul is trying to say when he talks about a mutual forbearance. See, the sword of the Lord cuts both ways. It goes both ways. I mean, Paul is addressing us. He's not only talking to the meat eaters, or he's talking about the, those that are, are holding to veg, you know, eating vegetables only. Because, you know, the vegetarian, they're looking at the meat eaters and they have respect for them. And the meat eaters, they look at the vegetarians and they have respect for them. It goes both ways. And as Paul describes in the text here. Alright, then notice there number 5 and 6, verses 5 and 6. Someone want to read verses 5 and 6 for us, uh, uh, Cody? Alright, so he begins talking about another question. And that is observing of days. And again, if all your life you have been raised a, a, a Jewish background, and uh, the Sabbath day, which came up on Saturday, was a day of rest, and you never uh, participated in, uh, you know, physical activities and such things as that. And, well, then you're converted. And then, well, that's still still in your mind. You still, huh? you still have trouble doing anything, any type of work on Saturday. Well, that's okay, if that's your conviction. Uh, each must be fully convinced in their own mind. If, if that's your conviction, well, just live according to your conviction. As Paul will say down there, number 23, He that doubteth is, is condemned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. You see, we, we, we've got to maintain good conscience. And the thing is that if, uh, you know, on Saturday that I don't participate in work activities, but you do, does that mean because you participate that I have to participate? No, I don't have to participate. That, that's your choice. See, it ultimately gets back to what we're talking about and what Paul's trying, point Paul's trying to make in the context there in verses uh, 10, 11, 12. Each shall give an account of himself to God. You see, if this is my conviction that I don't work on Saturday, well, it's my conviction. I'm going to have to answer before God. I'm going to have to answer before the Lord. I have to give an account of myself. I don't want to violate my conscience. I don't want to wound my conscience. That, that would be wrong even though it may not be intrinsically wrong, but for me, it would be wrong. And that's what Paul is trying to get us to see and understand. And therefore, you can still maintain the unity of the Spirit. We can still come together and we participate in the five acts of worship. And the, uh, the church is participating in the works that God has assigned the local congregation. And so we're, we're unified on that. We're, we're, we're standing together. Jesus is Lord. We're standing together the, of the plan of salvation of how you become a Christian. We stand together upon what is involved in true worship in the five acts that are, that are outlined and described in the New Testament order. 
And so in these matters, we're standing united because we're working together in the body of Christ. But on these questions, this is individual activity. This is individual conscience. This is my scripture. This is my judgment. This is, this is my conviction on the matter. And so Paul says, let each one be convinced in their own mind. It's kind of like uh, this, this whole idea of the <laughs> resting on the Sabbath day. It's kind of interesting in sectarianism how that has spilled over into Christianity because some take the position uh, 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 that the Sabbath day was changed to what? To Sunday. And so the Sabbath is Sunday. And so you're not supposed to work on Sunday. I heard that all my life. Growing up. Well, you're not supposed to work on Sunday. You're not supposed to work on Sunday. And that's misinformation because was the Sabbath changed? No, the Sabbath wasn't changed. <laughs> that, that, that's just uh, erroneous uh, errors of, uh, uh, of uh, denominations. In the Philippines, they have, in lots of, uh, almost every town, they have uh, concrete uh, placards of, of, uh, of the Ten Commandments. And what is interesting on some of those placards, it talks about, remember, remember uh, the Sabbath day. Or to remember, then someone will say, remember the first day of the week as a day of rest. I mean, they just blandly just have changed it. Because that, that is their theology. That is their thinking. And so they see the Ten Commandments and they emphasize the Ten Commandments. And uh, But then the question of the Sabbath day being the seventh day, they just change it to the first day. The seventh day of the week. Or excuse me, the first day of the week is to be holy and we're not to work. And uh, very misfortunate. So, suppose all your life, you've been told, well, you're not supposed to work on Sunday, you're not supposed to work on Sunday, so Sunday afternoon something comes up, well, what do you do? Do you say, well, I'll just wait till Monday? Or do you say, well, I think it's okay. Well, we need to be persuaded in our own mind. That's what Paul says. Each must be fully convinced in his own mind. I mean, maybe all my life I've heard that, and, you know, it's like, I don't know if I need to go out and work on my car Sunday afternoon. Well, if I can't do it in good conscience, what do I need to do? Don't need to do it. I just better leave that alone, as Paul describes there. And so he says, the one observes of the day, does it for the Lord. The one who eats, eats for the Lord because he gives thanks to God. I mean, is it essential that we give thanks for our food? Yes, the meat eater. Yeah, he gives thanks. And the vegetarian, yeah, he gives thanks too. They're both giving thanks. That's essential. It's not like giving thanks is optional. I mean, is it okay not to give thanks to the Lord for our food? Well, no, that's commanded. We're, we're to give thanks. And everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. First Thessalonians chapter 5. We're, we are to give thanks for our food. Now, if we're, that's inclusive of meat, the meat eater, he gives thanks. And if we're just a vegetarian... Well, we give thanks also. If I'm a vegetarian, I don't eat meat. My brother, he, he's, uh, he's a vegetarian. He had uh, heart trouble. Well, when he was young, he had rheumatic fever, and then he had, uh, then he had uh, blockage, and after he had uh, stent put in, he went into the vegetarian diet, and he just doesn't eat meat. Well, he does that for health reasons. But that's his choice. That's his conviction. And so that, that's the point that Paul's trying to make. If that's your conviction, okay, live by your conviction. And, but the thing is that sometimes it kind of spills over 
not just for health reasons, but then it becomes almost kind of religious reasons. That here's the vegetarian. Well, I don't know about eating that catfish. I got scruples about that. Those passages in the Old Testament says it looms heavy upon their mind. I mean, their upbringing is that they've never ate pork. I mean, they didn't eat tenderloin. They didn't eat country ham. They didn't eat sausage and all those things. And so it's really hard to eat. And, and looking at that brother over there, they, you know, almost feel like, you know, they're, they're going to be lost. They're doing something that is sinful and wrong. Well, for them it would be. Well, you see, this brother over here eating the pork, ultimately, what's going to happen in the day of judgment? What's our text? He's going to have to give an account, account for himself. I don't. I don't have to. I don't. I don't have to give an account for him eating. In, eat, him eating pork because I'm not eating the pork. I'm a vegetarian, and so I'm not to judge him, as Paul points out. I'm not to be critical, and I'm not to condemn this brother over here that's eating the the meat. You see that 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 that's where you just kind of say, mm, okay, that's where the word forbearance, bearing for, is like, well, well, you just keep your opinion to yourself. You just keep your viewpoint to yourself, and okay, he will answer for himself. And then this brother over here that eats meat, now he's not to look to the, the vegetarian brother and say, oh, boy, he is so goofy, that, that is so stupid. He, you don't, he don't know what he's missing out on. It is so delicious. Well, I'm not to treat with contempt his conviction. If that's his conviction and that's his honest scruple and he lives by that, okay. I don't have to answer for him. He answers for himself on those decisions. And that's what Paul is trying to get everybody to see in this text. He says in verse 8, If we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. And then notice number 9 and 10. Number 9 and 10. Someone want to read that for us? Alright, so, as Paul points out, we all live to the Lord. We all stand as servants of the Lord. And who am I? It's like if you have somebody working for you, should I criticize your workers? No, if, if the way they're working, that's what the boss wants. If you're the boss of these workers, well, if that's the way you want them to do it, well, that's, that's up to you. They're your servants, they're your workers, well, let them work the way you, you direct them. And that's what Paul's trying to point out here, that, that the Lord, you know, He is, uh, of course, the one of, uh, the Lord of all of us, and we're not to judge, uh, others. And I like the New English translation, which really, this is kind of more of a commentary, but I, it really gives the real sense. And I, I want to read verse 10. It says, But you who eat vegetables only, why do you judge your brother or sister? The brother quite often involves sister, so. But he has the word brother or sister. And you who eat everything, why do you despise your brother or sister? And then he makes the point, for we shall all stand before the judgment seat of God. See, that, that, that sort of ultimately settles the matter when it comes to these types of questions. And so Paul illustrates it there with uh, two points. That is, the one who eats meats and the one who is a vegetarian, the one who is observed days and the one who says every day is a lie. And then let me just briefly say the idea of swearing an oath. That, that would be another example of that. And not to get into a big discussion about that, but there are three positions. Well, position number one, that in, in an absolute sense, you never swear at all under any circumstance. 
That used to be my position. When I first started studying the Bible, I just come to that conclusion that you should never swear under any circumstance. In my study, I've figured out that, that that's not really consistent. But it, you can live with that. Or that there would be some limited times. There had been like maybe two occasions where one was when we went to get our marriage license and we were called upon to give an oath and anyway. And maybe if you stand in the court, but the courts, they recognize that because what will they say? Do you solemnly swear or affirm? That's right. So they, they accommodate and they accommodate because it's just as binding because if you lie under affirmation, you, you're going to get in just as much trouble as if you're lying under oath. It, it, it's no different. And then, of course, frivolous swearing. And everybody agrees whether you take limited or no swearing at all. Frivolous swearing is just obviously wrong. I mean, you get people that say, well, I swear a stack of Bibles. Well, I swear this and I swear that. Because when you have people that do that, what are they? Generally, they're liars. Exactly. That, that, that is. That, that's the truth of the matter. Generally, people that are always having to swear about everything is that they generally tell lies sometime in their life. And so now to try to bolster, they have to, you know, talk about the, the idea that, well, I swear on a stack of Bibles and da 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 da. We have, we have a fellow we run around with in uh, grade school and the high school and he, he was a pathological liar at times. But, you know, when he started having to swear, it's because why? Because he had the reputation of somebody that always carrying on exactly, uh, on and on and on about you know, not telling the truth, and so he had to swear to bolster. All right, well, anyway, that uh, that's what Paul is trying to emphasize, and there are lots of little issues that come up uh, in our lives that we've got to recognize these biblical principles. All right, well, thanks for your attention and your participation. <clears throat>